This morning we're reading from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Again Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching, teaching said, sorry, and in his teaching said, "Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places." where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60 or even a 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that... They may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The Father shows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word. But the worries of his life, the deceitfulness, of wealth and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop thirty, sixty, or even a hundred times what was sown. Thanks, Drew. So as we've been working our way through the book of Mark, we've been tracking the story of Jesus. Uh, Every piece of Mark's account tells us a little bit more about who Jesus is. His power, his purpose, his proclamation. We've come to see a familiar pattern. Jesus is known to be somewhere and so people come wanting more. They want to see more of Jesus. They want to see more healing. They want to see more teaching. They want to see more of the Jesus show. This is exciting. But we saw last week that Jesus wasn't on about promoting the Jesus show. Jesus is strategically revealing himself and who he is and what he has come to do to select people. 
You see, he doesn't state this plainly in a five-point action plan that he presents to the entire world at this point. He reveals it slowly, secretively, to a select few and he starts this process with quite an odd bunch of blokes we call the disciples. In our passage today, we see a slightly different approach in Mark's account. Jesus has been moving around teaching and preaching, but not a lot of detail of what he's actually been preaching and teaching has been recorded so far. Here in chapter 4, Mark's pausing and zeroing in on some of the specific details of what Jesus is actually saying. Now there are only two sections in the whole of Mark's Gospel where he focuses on the detail of Jesus' teaching, in chapter 13 and here in chapter 4. So as we come to the passage this morning, um, a little bit of a helpful framework, we're going to look at how Jesus taught, what Jesus taught and why Jesus taught it. How Jesus taught, what Jesus taught and why he taught it. Firstly, how Jesus taught. This is the third time that Jesus is actually teaching by the lakeside. Last week we saw in chapter 3 that Jesus wanted to go away from the crowd at the lakeside, up that mountain, to appoint the 12 apostles. The group of men we described as a bit of an odd team. Some fishermen, a tax collector, they weren't very much liked in those days either, a zealot or what we might call today an extremist, and among them a thief who would betray all of them. Jesus selects this odd squad of men to be his insiders. So we pick up the story with Jesus and his odd squad coming down from the mountain and all of a sudden another crowd is forming, ready to see the Jesus show by the lakeside. Such a crowd gathers that Jesus inventively jumps on a boat to get some space between himself and this crowd so he can address them all. Now some have said that perhaps we could call this a pulpit on water. You see, Jesus wasn't chasing the crowds, they were chasing him. Crowds of people chasing after Jesus, trying to be wherever Jesus is, get a glimpse of him, see what he might do, what he might say. But Jesus knows the mixed emotives, sorry, the mixed motives of the human heart. He knew that this desire of wanting to know more, wanting to see more about him was, for many, something that wouldn't last but he teaches them all anyway. And he does it in a slightly different way. Early in Jesus' ministry, we can see that he taught in the synagogues from the scrolls as one from authority, reflecting on the prophets and explaining them. Now here in chapter 4, we see a transition in how Jesus is actually teaching. He's still teaching with authority, but now he starts using parables. So what is a parable? Well, in the Greek, the two word parts are para, which means beside, and balo, which means to throw or to cast. So a parable is a story which illustrates a point. It uses a familiar idea which is cast beside an unfamiliar idea in such a way that that comparison helps people to better understand and grasp that unfamiliar idea. A way of using something that is known from everyday life to explain something that is unknown. 
Now this teaching style of using parables is, is not something that only Jesus did. It's not something he invented and, and was the first to ever use. To understand the nature and the function of parables, we need to understand them in the light of the Old Testament where they were also used. Prophets once spoke plainly about God through sermons and instructed the people as God had instructed them. But they were then instructed by God to use parables and symbolic actions because Israel refused to listen. We see this in Ezekiel 17 where God tells Ezekiel, take it to the Israelites as a parable. And as we read on, we see what that parable is. We see it's about two eagles and a vine. Or in 2 Samuel where Nathan rebukes King David with a parable about a rich man and a poor man and his sheep. God is using what is familiar, what is known, to help to explain something that is unknown or unfamiliar or unseen at that time. The use of parables or illustrative stories is common practice in many sermons still today. But it's not just about how the teaching is presented, it's also about how that teaching is actually received. There is a pattern of response with parables. Some people will hear the known aspects and just enjoy it as a story but they won't really get it. They won't see the understanding. So, sorry, they won't gain the understanding or see the meaning. Others will be hardened by the unknown meaning behind the story. They will have further hardening of their hearts. And then there will be those who listen and seek further insight, wanting to know more. They are given eyes to see and to gain understanding, which leads to more insight, and further understanding. There is a process of spiritual shifting that is occurring, either eternally rewarding or eternally baffling. You see, a parable is really like a mystery and Jesus uses this style of teaching to teach about his kingdom, which is also a mystery. It's a secret that must be revealed, a riddle that must be interpreted, a truth that would remain unknown if it had not been revealed through revelation. You see, understanding through revelation is how God works. When a truth is illuminated for us, when we see it, when we understand it, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We see what we didn't see before. And this parable before us is special and it is actually describing the reactions of the hearers to the whole system of paralytic teaching. So what is it that Jesus actually is teaching here? We've just covered how he taught as parables with authority, which either hardened the heart or opened people to being, uh, receiving revelation. But what is actually being taught? The parable of the sower is one that I'm sure is pretty familiar to most of you. It's a fairly common parable. It's about Jesus and his hidden kingdom, not just about seeds and dirt. It's about Jesus' own ministry. It's about how he was revealing his kingdom himself in his coming all through to his second coming. This parable points to the harvest at the end of history. 
Now, as we saw earlier, Jesus taught in everyday surroundings. He connected his teaching to what is familiar to the audience, to the people he's speaking to, relatable illustrations. Now, the key parts we have here are the sower, the seed and the soils. Verse 3, a farmer went out to sow his seed and as he scattered his seed, hang on, we pause here, we see the sower seems to be just chucking his seeds randomly wherever they might go. It appears that he just grabs a handful and just throws them without much thought. Boaz actually demonstrated that beautifully for us earlier. (laughs) It would be pretty clear to anyone who has any kind of farming knowledge that Nothing is going to grow on that path. What is this guy doing throwing seeds on the hard, compacted path? He just chucks them down there. Why is he wasting seed, precious seed? Obviously where it's not going to take. And as we read on, it appears that this farmer has a pretty poor seed-to-harvest ratio. Does he have any clue at all? But this seemingly wasteful throwing everywhere is actually demonstrating a very important principle about God, about the sower. This is what Jesus is teaching. His seed, the word, is offered to all. Friends, God is gracious in his actions to all people, whether they receive him or not. This is part of who God is. God is gracious. He created the world for all. He continues to be gracious to all those who reject him while they live here on earth. Now some scholars have called this common grace. Matthew 5.45 reads, He causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. God sustains the balance of the universe for all. God is gracious. God is gracious also in his saving message and offering his saving message to all. Once again in Matthew 24, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. It will be preached to all and then the end will come. And in 2 Timothy 2.4, when he's speaking of God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Throughout scripture we see a pattern, friends, of God communicating truth with guidance and warnings while knowing full well that the hearers will reject the message of truth. This is an act of grace from an all-knowing God, a God who desires all to come to him and to respond while knowing that many won't. He graciously gives the opportunity to respond while knowing how we actually will respond. In Ephesians 4 we read, sorry, in Ephesians we read, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace 
which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Before the foundation of the world, by sheer grace, according to the free good pleasure of his will, God chose in Christ those who would be saved. Out of all the people throughout all time, humankind who had fallen by our own fault from our original innocence of creation into sin and ruin through Adam, those who God has chosen are not better, not more deserving than anyone else, but they are chosen. Now this truth can sit a little bit uneasily with us. Friends, this is something that we need to struggle through to understand and ask for revelation on. It is good for us to wrestle and gain a greater understanding of this, but we can rest assured of a few things here this morning, friends, that God is just. God is good and God is gracious. He is the all-knowing, all-seeing God and it is good and right and reassuring for us to know that he knows and that he is the one making the choice because he's God. It's not because of what we do. It's not because of who we are. It's because of what he has done and who he is. God knows who are his and we can also be assured that if we are his, we know his voice and we will respond. The good shepherd knows his sheep and his sheep know his voice. Now we might look at this seeming waste of seed that he offers, his saving work to all. Why do it knowing that that's going to happen? But we need to trust the sower. Jesus knows what he's doing. This very parable is an example of this truth. Remember, Jesus started this parable before us this morning with a passionate plea. Listen, he said, listen. He wants those before him to listen to that hidden message. He wants them to understand. At this very moment, Jesus was both telling the parable and exemplifying the parable. He was sowing the seed. In this way, this is a parable about parables. Verse 13, then Jesus said to them, don't you understand, this is speaking to the disciples, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable if you don't understand this one? The seed we see in verse 14 is the word. This is the message of the kingdom. The seed is powerful. It contains truth. It contains the truth of the eternal kingdom of God. Now while it's small, it brings a great harvest. It's the good news of God's saving work through the cross to bring a people to himself for all eternity. Now this is contained for us within the Bible, the inspired word of God, which explains for us God's eternal plan of salvation. The operation of the divine seed, friends, the word on the human heart is not automatic. Just hearing the word is not automatic to salvation because the response is dictated by the nature of the heart who hears. It is dictated by the nature of the heart who hears, of the soil. The seed is more important than the soil. The seed is the thing that grows. 
It's important to note that the seed that lands on the four different soils is the same type of seed. It has the same power of growth. All have the ability to grow, but not all do. They all would grow if planted in receptive soil. The success or failure of the growth is not with the seed, it's with the soil. The soil we see represents the hearer and Jesus outlines for us four different ways that the seed is received. Firstly, we see the path. A hard, unresponsive surface. The birds came up and ate it up. This is an unresponsive hearer. A hearer who is hardened to the message, ignores it, and so the seed, the word, is taken away. The unresponsive hearer. Secondly, we see the rocky soil, a soil which starts with quick growing, a quick growing response, but then it can't stand the weather. The sun comes out, burns it, it's got no roots, and so it falls over. An impulsive hearer. Hearers keen to grow, but they have no root, they have no stability, they have no grounding, so when things get hard, persecution comes, they just fall over. Now it's important to note that this is not a saved believer who is struggling. That's not what this is about. The harmony of scripture teaches us very clearly that if you are called and respond by faith, asking Jesus to forgive you, he is faithful and just and he will forgive you and you will be saved. This is not speaking about struggling. This is speaking of what James calls dead or useless faith. A kind of belief that is fake and superficial. See, Jesus knows the mixed motives of the human heart. He knew that there were those who were listening that had a desire of wanting to know more and wanting to see more of him and they were chasing that Jesus show but he knew that it wouldn't last. Thirdly, we see the thorns. A soil where the seed takes and grows but it grows closely with thorns and weeds and gets choked. This is a preoccupied or discontent hearer a hearer who is full of other stuff, worries of the world, money, the desire for other things. Other things take place, that ultimate place of God, and therefore become idols. A preoccupied, discontent hearer. And finally, the fourth, the good soil. A soil which over time produces a good harvest. A responsive hearer. A hearer who is receptive and fertile, whose heart is open. Now friends, I've heard this parable used in many, many ways and I've heard it used in ways that I don't believe that it's intended. Some have said that when anyone speaks any part of the Bible, people will respond in that moment, now don't miss my point here, in that moment in one of these four ways. They'll either be unresponsive, impulsive, preoccupied, discontent or a responsive hearer. This is a misemphasis because the hearer is responsible for the soil getting ready in those examples. If they do the work, then the crop will succeed. If they do the work, don't do the work, then the crop will fail. It's a misapplication of this parable because it becomes about works and it becomes about us. And that's not what this parable is about. The idea that if you get your heart ready to hear from God and if you don't do enough to get yourself ready, then you won't grow. That's not what this parable is about. 
This parable is actually about the work of Jesus and the salvation harvest. It's not about growing stronger in our understanding of the word. It's about Jesus bringing the hidden kingdom into reality. The work done on the soil in this parable is by the Holy Spirit, not by us. Now don't get me wrong, it is a good principle for us to prepare our hearts when coming to the word, when coming to learn from God, to come to the Bible, before coming to church. It is good to prepare our hearts but that is different to what this parable here is speaking of. Because we can't prepare our hearts to be saved, we can prepare our hearts to grow in our understanding, but we can't prepare our hearts to be saved. That work is the work of the Holy Spirit. This brings us to our final section, why Jesus taught it. Now I'm going to tell you uh, a different parable, or at least an illustrative story, A few months ago, Katie, my wife, and I decided that she needed a new computer. Now, while Katie is one of the most intelligent people I know, she's made some exceptional good choices in her life, (laughs) let's just say that computer technology is an identified growth area for her. There are a lot of questions and comments in this discussion, like, Does it matter that the numbers after the Wi-Fi thingy are different on this one? Does it need to have one of those blue cable port thingies or those flat sticky out bitty thingies? And and what about file storage? Now sometimes when I answered these questions it didn't seem to clear things up for her. Uh, No, you don't really need an Ethernet port because you'll use an 802.11 Wi-Fi and if it has HDMI you can easily use an adapter to get any VGA ports that you might need It's much better to get a solid state hard drive uh, and you want at least 8 gig of RAM. The ROM isn't that important but you want something of a decent size. However, you're probably going to use some storage in the cloud anyway so you can sync it across all your devices. Now for some of you, what I've just spoken of just then about computers is familiar and you have an openness to grow in your understanding and it made sense and you want to seek it further. For others, like Katie, it's just hardened you more to that techno babble You might be seeing but not perceiving. You might be ever hearing but not understanding. See, this helps to illustrate why Jesus taught what he taught in this parable. In verse 12, Jesus quotes Isaiah. He told them, the disciples, the secrets of the kingdom has been given to you, but those on the outside, everything is in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Jesus draws a connection between his preaching and the ministry of Isaiah, a ministry which gained some disciples but also exposed the hardness of the hearts of many to God's warnings and appeals to turn to him. God told Isaiah to go and preach to a people who wouldn't respond so that their guilt would be certain. Now don't miss the last line in this quote from Isaiah that they might turn and be forgiven. God is willing and able to forgive those who have a receptive heart. God is patient. He is wanting people to respond in faith to him. This parable is started and finished with an impassioned plea from Jesus to listen we see in 1 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, 
not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We see there's a twofold effect of parables. If the listen is unmotivated or hard to the message, then the parable is meaningless or it hardens them further. But secondly, if the listener pursues that meaning, they respond appropriately, the meaning is unlocked for them. Now as we've just read, this pattern plays out here before us. The disciples are pursuing. They're wanting to know. They don't get it yet, but they're receptive to it. And Jesus responds in verse 10, the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you. You're on the inside. Others are on the outside. Now this concept of insiders and outsiders is a distinctive theme throughout the book of Mark. The kingdom Jesus proclaims is not identifiable with any social norms, any cultural group or institution or ways of working. This kingdom is uniquely centred around the person of Jesus Christ himself. The kingdom of God was so different to the kingdom of the Roman Empire. The audience that was before Jesus here is an audience that was experiencing that empire. A public, overpowering, controlling power and might. But the secrets of the kingdom of God are hidden. The kingdom of God is a hidden kingdom which is being revealed to those who are chosen by God to be with him forever. A kingdom which would seem to start so small but would grow to be an eternal kingdom that will not pass away. Truth, friends, can only be known by revelation. It's a gift from God. Like in Ephesians when Paul talks of the administration of the mystery which, he was, revealed, which was revealed to him by revelation, the inclusion of the Gentiles in God's kingdom, the mystery of Christ which was not made known to other men in other generations was now being revealed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus' disciples needed an explanation. Jesus was teaching them and showing them how to understand the parable, how to understand how different people would respond to his word. And as we track with the disciples through the rest of Mark, we'll see that they struggle. They struggle to understand what Jesus has come to do, who he is, but they keep pursuing to understand. As the story unfolds, we see how they start to understand more. But it is only in the light of the cross and when the Spirit is given to them that their understanding is transformed. You see, it's at the cross that we can rightly know Jesus. Not as a great moral teacher, not as a miracle worker, not as a good person, not as the Jesus show. It's at the cross that Jesus is revealed as the suffering Son of God, the King of the hidden kingdom. As Jesus looked out at the crowd before him, he would have seen closed-minded people who just were flat out going to refuse to hear. The super keen, sick and suffering who wouldn't continue 
the multitude of Messiah-expecting individuals who followed without understanding and then would desert him when things got tough and those chosen from among them who would follow him, whose hearts were ready to receive that revelation of the Holy Spirit. The disciples felt as puzzled as we might feel on first hearing this parable and seeking to understand it. But remember the ultimate purpose of this parable is not to conceal, but it's to reveal to those who are receptive. Just as Jesus started this parable, I urge you, friends, to listen for the call. I urge you to listen and to respond. Spiritual truth is not an isolated set of intellectual facts and understandings that we need to master, but it is a whole that is to be comprehended by the revelation of the true nature of God. And I pray that by his Holy Spirit, God will prepare the hearts of those he has given to us in our families, in our church, our friends, to teach and to train, to reach out to in our communities, that by the Holy Spirit, he will be preparing their hearts to be receptive, to hear the message of his salvation. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful. We thank you that you offer your gift to all. And we thank you that you know those who will hear and will receive. Father, help us to be involved in sharing your word to all, knowing that the salvation work is done by the Holy Spirit on preparing hearts to receive your message, to be forgiven and to enter into the kingdom. Father, encourage us this morning. Encourage us to be assured of the salvation that we have if we have heard your voice and responded. Help us to be prayerful for our friends and families who we know don't know you or walk with you at this time. Help us to wrestle with this while knowing that you are a good, just God who knows all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.